Hi, this is Jeff Steele. Today we're reading Acts 25, verses 13 through 27. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There is a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They must be given an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. When his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor, so I ordered that he be held in custody until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said, and Festus replied, you will, tomorrow. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived in the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he has done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Okay, Paul, we have kind of a continuation of the story of, of his trial, of what has happened to him and being seized in the temple and dragged before the officials. And now they're trying to sort it out. Remember, he was arrested by, uh, while an angry mob was actually trying to kill him. And now the authorities are together trying to sort out what to do with him. And the problem that they are running into is they can't figure out what they should charge him with. Now, if you recall, the mob originally got going because Paul was teaching against Jewish traditions and they made up some phony charges of violating the temple. Now, by this point in the story, there's a new governor named Festus and actually a couple of years have gone by. The new governor has a visit from an even higher-ranking official, King Agrippa. And in our text today, the two of them are trying to sort out what to do with this very odd case. Now, on the one hand, the Jewish people are trying to execute this guy. But on the other hand, none of the capital offense charges have been able to stick. But since Paul appealed to Rome to take his trial there, they have to charge him with something. The best that Festus can figure out is that all this trouble has something to do with, he says, something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul insists is alive. Now, what's interesting about that statement is that Festus has at least figured out that what Paul stands for is the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know why I think that's interesting? Because this is a conversation, we, we get a, a rare glimpse here, of a conversation between two non-Christians about Paul. If you had two non-Christians talking today about Christians, I wonder, what would they say is the heart of what it means to be a Christian? 
would they be able to tell from observing us that the heart of our faith is about Jesus and his resurrection? Or do you think they might get the idea that there's something else that's really at the core of who we are? Something like uh, particular ideology or, or even support or opposition for a political figure or, or a particular cause. See, Festus is able to cut through all the noise and really get to the heart of the issue. It's about Jesus. But look what he says. And I think this is so fascinating and so applicable to our world today. Verse 20, he says, I was at a loss how to investigate these things. Here was the governor, Festus, having put his finger on the very heart of the gospel and the life-changing power of Christ that Paul was teaching about. And instead of either accepting it or rejecting it, he says, I don't even know what to do with that. Festus could be considered a skeptic. And I, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all, because the truth is that we live in a culture that really does require us to be skeptical, right? We have to question things that we see and hear because we hear so much false information and, and even partial truths. I mean, just, just look online and you'll see attention-grabbing headlines that intentionally distort facts and press well beyond the implications of what is actually true in order just to get us to look at the article just in order for us to survive the information overload all around us, we kind of have to learn to be skeptics. And so Festus, as the governor, you know, he probably learned to be a skeptic too. And so when he encountered this truth, he didn't know what to do with it. Now, if you have been hanging around the church at all, and by that I mean you've been hanging around with Christians, not hanging around in a building, that's something different. But if you've been hanging around the church, Christians, for very long, you've probably put together that it has something to do with Jesus, who we say that even though he died 2,000 years ago, is actually alive. And if you haven't embraced that for yourself, then chances are you've come to the same place as Festus to be able to honestly say, you know, I just, I don't know what to do with that. I used to read a lot of C.S. Lewis when I was younger. Are you familiar with him? He, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia uh, is a book series, and the, the main book from that was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a book. They made it into a movie. Uh, really, really great stuff. I'm a big fan of his writings. But anyway, C.S. Lewis uh, was an atheist who came to believe the truth about Christ. He was a guy who was uh, very intellectual, and he kind of came to the same place that Festus was. He knew what Christianity was about. But unlike Festus, in his critical thinking, Lewis knew how to investigate the truth. He wrote a book eventually called Mere Christianity, and he explains it this way. He says, when it comes to a question of Jesus, we like to believe that Jesus was a great moral teacher, right? If you've understood a little bit of who Jesus is and his life as described in the Bible, then you've got the sense that Jesus was a moral teacher. And a lot of us, honestly, would like to leave it at that because a 2,000-year-old great moral teacher means that I can put Jesus in kind of the same category as Gandhi or Socrates or Buddha. It's a lot of great ideas. And maybe I'll even consider them someday, but for the most part, they aren't terribly relevant to me here and now. Now, the problem, as Lewis pointed out, is that you can't believe that Jesus was just a great moral teacher 
because he actually made really audacious claims about who he was. In his language and interactions with the religious leaders and with his disciples, he very clearly claimed the authority of God. Now, if you attended a gathering where I was teaching and I had really good ideas and suggestions, you might say to yourself, hey, that guy's a really good teacher. And if I taught in such a way that you believed every word I said and you believed that you should live your life the way that I had taught, you might even consider, uh, you might even say, man, that guy is a great moral teacher. But what if I closed out this teaching by saying, oh, hey, guess what? By the way, I know all of this because I'm actually God. Well, okay, at that point, I would lose a little credibility, right? I mean, more like all of my credibility. You would say, that guy's crazy. Why would I listen to anything else he has to say? He claims he thinks he's actually God. That's kind of the way that it is with Jesus. See, he said that he and God were one. He said that he was the son of God who was there with God when the world was created. He claimed such a unique relationship and unique authority with God that his audience could only assume one of three things. Number one, either he's crazy, you know, just another crackpot teacher with a messiah complex, or number two, he would have to be lying. He would, he would be just a sleazy preacher who's just looking to make a buck or some, you know, cult leader who's just trying to get power and have power over people. Or else the third option, I mean, what, what options are left? Either he's crazy or, or he's lying or what if he's not merely just a great moral teacher? The only option left is that he's Lord. Now, Easter is coming up really soon. It's a Sunday that when we gather, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And we tell the story of the gospel again, how Jesus was fully God. And yet he became fully man and lived among us and humbled himself and allowed himself to be killed on a cross. And that in doing so, he died in our place. Because of all our sin, our selfishness, our pride, our hate, our rage, our anger had separated us from God, and Jesus' sacrifice was the only way we could get back. And that then on the third day, he rose from the grave, and in so doing, he proved that even death has no hold over him. That is how we know that God is the God who created the whole world, and that death is not the end of our story, but that we have hope in that same resurrection. Because the only option left for Jesus is that he was telling the truth, is that he's Lord. So what do you say? Either it's just a story that somebody made up or it's wishful thinking, or it's true that Jesus really is who he says he was. That he really did die. That he really did rise again. And that because of that, we all have the hope of new life in him. And so, Governor Festus, fellow skeptics everywhere, the choice is yours. How will you investigate the truth of this matter? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you enlighten us, that you reveal truth to us. As we prayed in uh, the series last fall, and God, if you're real, make yourself real to us. Lord, that we, um, we would know 
the truth and that we would follow the truth and that we would know how to um, be honest about questions that we have. And God bless everybody who's skeptical listening to this. God bless them. Um, bless their, their honesty and their courage to say, man, I don't know what to do with that. And I pray that you show yourself to them in, in very real ways that, that they would come to understand the truth about you and about who you are. God, make this community a place um, <laughs> where we are just so dependent on you and, uh, and that it's so very clear to the world around us that you are the heart of everything that we do in this community, God, and we'll give you the praise in, in your name. Amen. Have a great day.